confusion is just, it, it just continues to pummel us down this long road. But I love when things are clear. And last week, friends, we saw the culmination of, in my opinion, one of the clearest pictures of the Gospels. We're studying Luke, if, if tonight's your first time here, and if, if you are here for the first time, welcome. We're glad you're here. We're going verse by verse through Luke. And what we saw last week was a very clear picture from Christ of two kingdoms. One kingdom that is His kingdom. It's a kingdom that is marked by light. And another kingdom that is the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of the enemy, that is marked by darkness. We read a scripture last week in Colossians chapter 2 verse 15 that says that he has disarmed the powers and authorities and made a public spectacle of that kingdom by his triumphant work on a cross. We learn that this kingdom is all about deceit and lies and rage and everything on the outside seems rosy and cozy. But once you get in, you realize that this kingdom has nothing to offer you. We also learn that this kingdom can provide everything for you. In fact, apart from this kingdom, you have nothing. And the clear picture from Jesus was that you're serving one of them. You're serving one of these kingdoms. You serve the king of one of these kingdoms. There's no in-between. There's no fence-sitting. That you're either here serving the king of darkness, or friends, you're here serving the king of light. And so we left last week with this question. If things are so clear in the gospel, if the word is so crystal clear, then why are we even curious about what, the, about what this kingdom has to offer? Why are we even curious if we know that this kingdom will fail? Why are we even curious if we know that this kingdom is triumphant? Why are we even curious if we know that everything over here is based on lies and deceit? Why are we even curious, friends? The great thing about tonight is it's last, is it's last week, part two, is Jesus takes this whole image and he brings it to a whole new Place. And so I am so excited to dig into the Word of God uh, with you. If you don't have a Bible, we have some studs back here that want to hand a Bible to you. So raise your hand if you don't have a Bible. We want to get one to you so you can hold the Word in your hands. We have one up here. Yes, don't be shy. You all need a Word. One up here. Great. Turn to Luke chapter 11 with you. Now Jesus painted this clear picture after healing a demon-possessed man that was mute. And, and, and it's important that we understand that because the crowd responds to this demon-possessed healing in three different ways. Some people are amazed. You guys remember this? He heals the demon-possessed, and some people are just instantly amazed. That's like some of you tonight. I mean, just at worship and the opening of the Word, you're just instantly amazed because the King of the universe amazes you. Like, you don't need anything else. There was another group of people that wanted, un- wanted some more. They wanted another sign. There's some of you that are, th- that are there tonight. You always are needing more evidence. You're needing something more to believe. You're like, no, 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 I, I saw that and I, I appreciate that, but, but I need more to believe that you're real. And when I get that, then I'll believe. And then you get that and you still don't believe. That's where some of you are tonight. And then there's, a, there, there's this whole other group of you that we saw last week that are blaming his power on something else. In fact, the ridicule was your power to cast out that demon comes from Beelzebub himself. And, and we saw statements like a house divided against itself will fall and a kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. Tonight... We get to focus on Jesus' response to those who needed like some more. To that group of people, and we saw in Matthew and Mark that this is the Pharisees or the teachers of the law, a group of people who wanted another sign. This is going to be tasty. Are you guys there? Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. I love when things are so crystal clear. It's clear right now that my little girl 
has an obsession with ketchup like her daddy. I was, um, I love ketchup. Uh, any of you guys who have ever eaten out with me know that it takes about a whole tube of ketchup if I have french fries. And it's crazy, like my little girl Avery, right? I walk in the other day and Heidi is feeding Avery bananas with ketchup. And I'm like, what are you, what, what is happening here? My little girl is turning into me, you know what I mean? Like this is, and last night I'm feeding her because Heidi works on Tuesday nights and I'm just keep pouring the ketchup, anything. And then finally her hands are just in the ketchup, just pulling it to herself. It was crazy. That really had nothing to do with anything. Verse 29. I'm just excited to share that with you, I guess. As the crowds increased, verse 29 of Luke 11, Jesus said, This is a wicked generation. It asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Now, this verse we must unpack. Let's start with the garment bag. All right, first of all, there's this thing in our culture that thinks that somehow if you water down the truth, that if you take the truth and you frame it in a way that's a little bit apart from Scripture, in a way that we can better understand, then that is what will attract a crowd. There's this thinking in our culture that somehow if you can put on the best show and then take the word and manipulate, manipulate it a little bit, into like six or seven points about how you can live better and it's all about practicality, then that will draw a big crowd. And the reality is, is, is it is. But the question we have to ask ourselves, is that the real gospel? Is that really Scripture, taking Scripture and watering it down to a place that is acceptable by everyone? Is that the Scripture at all? I think it's interesting here, friends, that the scripture says, as the crowds increased, Jesus says, this is a wicked generation, right? Like he's like anti that whole movement. The crowds are getting bigger, and instead of being like, oh, wait, 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 the, the crowds are getting bigger. Hey, everybody, uh, this is all, everything's great. Man, you look good tonight. Come on in, you know? He looks right at me and says, this is a wicked generation. That's his first statement. The first thing out of his mouth. As the crowds increase, all through the Gospels we see the teachings of Jesus get harder. Why? It's because of the same picture. There's no middle ground. You're either here or here. And so if he's not portraying that correctly, then there's, then there's room for confusion. Then there's room for people to say, hold on a second, uh, like, that's not really what I'm seeing here. But he doesn't do that. The crowds increase and the message gets harder. And so friends, like Jason even opened with tonight, We take this word verse by verse and we dive into it and we don't water it down at all. Not saying that we're going to understand every piece of it, thank God. Aren't you excited about that? That we can't understand every piece and intricacy about the Savior. But we're going to take this and we're going to teach it. And we believe that God will bring people at the hearing and teaching of His word. That's His job, not ours. You guys see that? That's His job. He saves. He brings the people. He even speaks the message through His Word. And He gives us an opportunity to be the church through that. Isn't that beautiful? So we get to show up and spread love everywhere and let God build His church. We're not building Matthias's like kingdom. We're not building some building so that we can just continue to grow and get huge. If that happens, it's because He did it. Do you understand? But then He brings up this other thing. He says, you're not going to get a sign. I know you want one, but no dice. Except for the sign of Jonah. Yeah, some of you guys, how many of you guys have heard of Jonah? Don't raise your hand. Um, Jonah 
Let's, let's, let's talk through this story. Four books in Jonah. Really small book. You guys can read it sometime. He's an Old Testament preacher. Here's what happens. Jonah is this guy where God comes to him and he says, hey, here's what I want you to do. There is this um, capital city of Assyria. Assyria and Israel don't get along, okay? In fact, they're, like, they, they're, just, they're just at odds. In fact, later we see like this whole exile thing with Assyria. The mental image of Assyria, if you're, if you're a Jew, is Assyria bad, okay? And what God calls Jonah to do is, I want you to go to Nineveh, the capital city of Assyria, and I want you to tell them that they are wicked and that, that, that they need to turn to me. I want you to go and preach a message of repentance. And, uh, and Jonah's like, I don't think so, God. Um, in fact, I believe somehow, miraculously, that I can run for you. And so what he did is he heads for this city called Tarshish. And then he, did I say that right? I feel like I have a dry mouth. It's like Tarshish, you know? Yeah. But he heads for this city, and he gets on a boat. Again, creative, right? I can get away from God because God somehow doesn't live in the ocean. You know what I mean? He's not hovering over the waters like it says in Genesis chapter 1. So he gets on this boat. And all of a sudden, he's out in the middle of the ocean, sleeping underneath the boat, thinking that he can get away from God, because ultimately, he doesn't want uh, the, the Ninevites to be saved. He doesn't want them to come to Christ, because he's like, these guys hate us Jews. I don't want them to repent. And all of a sudden, this massive storm happens. It's like coming up. And all the people on the deck are like, what is happening? Like, this came out of nowhere, this huge squall across the... It's like the perfect storm all of a sudden comes up on him, Right? And Jonah's down, down underneath sleeping. And so they're all freaking out. And they all start, Scripture says, start crying out to their own God. So you have all these people on the deck that are on this boat crying out to their own God. What's happening? What's happening? Jonah's sleeping underneath the deck. And then all of a sudden, these guys cast lots to figure out who's, whose issue this is. Like, why did this storm come up on us? And the lot falls to Jonah. And so they, they're like, Jonah, what is happening? And the Scripture alludes to that Jonah had already told them that, that he was running from God. Like, what is this? What are we going to do? Like, how are we going to save ourselves? And Jonah says, here's what, you need, here's what you need me to do. You need to chuck me over this boat. Because I've been running from God. Unless you, and when you do that, this water is going to miraculously calm itself. And at first, these guys don't listen. Like, we, we can give them a little bit of grace here. They don't want to just knock Jonah off, right? They're like giving him a second chance. Well, maybe it's not that. We don't want to kill an innocent, you know, young, young guy here. And so they just continue on. And the squall keeps happening. Finally, they're like, squall, death, Jonah, death. No, 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 we're chucking him, you know, chuck and duck. You know, we're like, walk the plank, we're getting rid of you. And they do it, and they throw Jonah off the plank. And the storm calms. Here's what's interesting, a part of the story. This is a little bit of an aside. Scripture says that at that moment, that the entire boat begins to worship the God of Jonah. In fact, Scripture says that they make vows to him, that they, uh, that they give offerings to him. So Jonah... Running from God, I think we just blew something drastic. Just turn on an overhead light. We just need one overhead light. That would be great so we can still see the word. Jonah, running from God, God still saves this entire boat. Do you guys see that? Like, he's running from God. God's not even in the... And he's running from God, and God steals... Does, does this prove to you yet that God is the one who saves? I mean, this has nothing to do with Jonah. He's running from God, chucked off a boat, and it says that all of these guys worship the God of Jonah. So here we have Jonah. He's swimming around in the water. You know, a lot of the tea, this is great. And then all of a sudden, get this, a fish swallows him up. So picture yourself here, right? You're Jonah. You've been running from God. You think that you could get away from him. You jump off this boat, and all of a sudden, you're in the belly of a fish. Guys, there's people that say that this story could have never happened. 
The problem I have with that is, is Jesus talks about it. So if Jesus talks about Jonah, then I'm pretty sure this story happens. And I know it's hard for us to grasp a dude jumping off and then a guy being in the belly of a, of a fish for three days and three nights, but that's, that's what happens. He sits in the belly of this fish for three days and three nights. And then he cries out, and the whole chapter 2 of Jonah is this prayer that Jonah has. He cries out, and guess what happens? The fish vomits him up on a beach. And then he heads to Nineveh. Stay with me here. He heads to Nineveh. He's like, okay, I better go this time. He heads to Nineveh, and he preaches a message of repentance. And friends, this is crazy. Scripture says 120,000 of them, okay? Assyrians, they hate Jews. 120,000 of them, and it's instantaneous repentance. Jonah preaches this message of repentance, and people are just instantly repenting, so much so that the king of Nineveh tells the entire land to wear sackcloth and to fast so that they can all worship the God hoping that maybe he wouldn't destroy them. Are you, are you seeing this? And then Jonas is still, he's still like, his heart's like, I don't know about this. Like, this is, I don't know if this is good. And he's like arguing with God almost. He's like, why did you do this? And then he ends up uh, sitting underneath a shelter, right? And God provides this vine one day to kind of protect him from the sun. And the scripture says that Jonah really likes this vine because it's kind of protecting him from the shade and, and give it, give, or get, protecting him from the sun, giving him some shade. And then God, the next day, provides this worm that cuts off this vine, and the worm goes down, right? And then Jonah's like, like, what is that? Like, why did you provide this and then take it away? And God's like, exactly. Jonah, you must understand that I give and that I take away, that I save, that I judge, that this entire time, this was not about you or the Ninevites, this was about me and your obedience to me. And it's gorgeous. And so the question is, what's the sign of Jonah? If Jesus says... Nothing will be given you. No sign except the sign of Jonah. What is the sign of Jonah? And the scripture says, will be given. In other words, it hasn't been given yet, but it will be. The sign of Jonah, friends, listen to this, is for three days Jonah sat in the belly of a fish. Mercy was allowed Jonah by not dying in the water, even though he was running from God. God swallows him, puts him in the belly of a fish, humbles him, then has grace enough to spit him out and to still use him because of who he is as God. Three days, much like the death and the resurrection of Christ. The sign of Jonah is the gospel. The sign of Jonah is grace and mercy, something you don't deserve, but you get it. That is the sign of Jonah. It's this image of who Jesus is. And some people say, well, Jesus is just walking around the earth and he has no idea what he's doing. He's just doing miracles because it's fun, because he's God in the flesh. If Jesus says the sign of Jonah is the only sign you're going to get, what he's saying is, is I will die and I will raise again three days later and that is your sign. And so if you want anything else besides the death, resurrection, then, then you're not going to get it because that's what I've come to do. I've come to seek and to save what was lost. The sign of Jonah, my friends, is the gospel. Let's continue on. Luke chapter 11. This gets even more tasty. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, verse 30, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. Verse 31. This gets a little interesting. The Queen of the South, this is not Texas. I know some of you Texans are, it's like, 
It's like the South, Texas' own nation. The queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now one greater than Solomon is here. The queen of the South is the queen of Sheba. This is a little bit of history, both Jonah and the queen of Sheba here, so stay with me. The queen of Sheba in 1 Kings chapter 10 goes to Solomon, who is this great man of wisdom, and she's heard about the wisdom of Solomon all throughout the land. And when it says that she came from the ends of the earth, that means that she was a Gentile. That means she's coming from a Gentile land to a Jewish land. Solomon, she's heard about his wisdom, and so she comes. And Scripture says that she has all these questions and things on her mind. So she comes to Solomon, Queen Sheba, and she poses all these questions for him, and he answers all of them and pours out wisdom. And the Queen of Sheba just is mesmerized by the God of Solomon. And, and so much so that she responds by just pouring on gifts and pouring on like all of this stuff on Solomon because she's just obsessed with this God of Solomon and it's all this wisdom that's coming from him. So we have an entire city, the Ninevites, repenting. And we have this Queen of Sheba responding. And what Jesus says is one greater than Solomon is coming. The original Greek here is that something greater is coming. I love that, don't you? Not someone, something. Like something huge, something great, something greater than Solomon. The Queen of Sheba like responds to Solomon's wisdom, but there's something more that's coming. And so we all have to get that image in our mind right now. These people hearing, who wanted another sign, hearing this message of, hey, 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 listen, listen, listen. Like what you want is right before your eyes. What you desire is right here, right now. And it gives us an image that the Queen of Sheba will be at the judgment. Why? Because she responded to the message of God. And then look at this. We continue to go on to verse 32. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. There's a lot of good things in this culture. You guys have to understand, in the Old Testament, there were all these huge guys. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Solomon, and David, and Jonah, and all these, all these men that did, did, that did things for the gospel and did things for the pursuit of God. And, and the Israelites know all these guys. I mean, these guys are the rock and the foundation of like this entire faith. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, all these guys, yeah, 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 no, something greater is here. Do you guys get this? He's like, you guys want a sign, but the Ninevites from Assyria are going to be at the judgment and condemn you because they repented at the message of God. How much more should you as Jews repent to the message? How much more? Something greater is here. Jonah was good. Solomon was good. But I am greater. Friends, there's a lot of good things in our culture. There's a lot of good things. There's a lot of good communities and churches and, and, and teachers and all these good thoughts and all these good wholesome books. But if we miss for a second and if we displace for a second the thing that's greater, friends, we've missed it all. Do you see that? If we place anything greater than the person and work of cross, the, uh, the person and work of Jesus, then we've displaced the entire message, friends. He is the greatest And so he's like, you want a sign? Yeah, I'll give you a sign. When I die on the cross, 
take your sins, and then I resurrect from the dead, and I conquer and make a public spectacle of my enemies by what I did on the cross. And then he continues on in this beautiful passage of verse 33. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a, in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, he puts it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. Now, in ancient Palestinian homes, you'd have a, a light like this. And uh, it wouldn't be like plugged in because they had no electricity, for those of you that are a little bit confused. And um, the, it, it, they would often be like a one-room house. And so at night, if you got up and went to the bathroom, um, like you needed some light because it was completely dark. There's no electricity in the streets. There's no street lights. And there's no illumination. So the image here, like we already talked about in Luke chapter 8, verse 16, is that you're not going to light a lamp and put it underneath something. In fact, you know very well by what you do in your home that you light the lamp and it sit on its stand so that if you wake up in the night, it can provide light for you. And what he's doing is he's setting up this next verse, verse 34. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are good, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are bad, your body also is full of darkness. Now, I'm not an um, eye doctor. What's an eye doctor called? Obstetrician? Optometrist. What's an obstetrician? Oh, okay. Sorry about that. Optometrist, is that what they are? I'm not an optometrist, but I know this, that the eye is what allows us to see because it provides this way for light to get in. As we open our eyes right now, we're seeing things, and I'm, I'm looking at all of you now, and light is being permeated, permeated into my eye. And so what Jesus is saying is the, your eye is the lamp of your body. What you see, it creates this, this like entire lamp either to light up or to be filled with darkness. Last week we talked about these two kingdoms. And how there's no need or reason that we should ever be curious as to what is in this window or what is behind this kingdom because all it is is deceit. But the reality is, friends, that we struggle so much looking in and peering in and wondering what's behind aisle four because we've heard things and we've heard our friends talk about how much fun it is and we've seen uh, how much greed can gain us. And so out of that curiosity, we peer in and what it creates, Jesus says, is a body that's full of darkness. Straight up, blunt, I mean, just, just completely blunt. What, like, what are you looking at? Pornography. The dollar sign. If you're married, other women, lustfully. TV shows that you know are just complete filth. YouTube videos that you know are just wrecking your depths. Just think about what you looked at today. If you were to write a list of all the things that you looked at, would you be okay with us throwing that up on the screen? Really, that's interesting. Huh. Think about that. Everything that you looked at today. What Jesus is saying is, is that your eyes are the lamp of your body. And what happens is, is we get curious in our hearts and in our minds and in our, in our souls. And what that causes us to do is it causes us to look. I wonder what that looks like. And friends, wherever our eyes are pointed, that's where we're going. That's why Paul gives us this image of keep your eyes what? On the prize. Because if your eyes are on the prize, then you don't get distracted, friends. But we do. 
but we do get distracted. What are you looking at? What is filling this heart through your eyes? Jesus makes it clear. Your lamp is either filled with darkness or it's filled with light. Which one is it? How do you create this system that what you see is consuming you with light? And what it is, friends, is something that we studied last week. Listen to this. Jesus says that when the finger of God comes, when we see the power in the finger of God, then we will know, what did Jesus say? That the kingdom of God has come. When the finger of God moves, when we see the power of God, then we will know that the kingdom of God has come. What happens is, when you see and believe that the kingdom of God has come, then all of your curiosities of something greater completely subside. When we see with our eyes and believe with our hearts that the kingdom of God has come through Christ, then our curiosities about there being something more or that this kingdom has something to offer us, all of that subsides. It's all gone. The curiosity is gone. Why? Because the taste and the fulfillments and the pursuits of the kingdom of God fully satisfy. And when you're fully satisfied, my friends, there's no need to turn to anything else. That's why our marriages need to be healthy in every aspect. Physically, sexually, emotionally, word time. When you're fully satisfied at home, friends, in all of those areas, there's no need to turn anywhere else. Are you with me? That's a hard word. You're like, whoa, whoa, did he just say that? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. That's why in our relationships, in our godly relationships, as we're seeing God move in those relationships, accountability and just, just brothers and sisters hang with each other. There is no need to dabble in any of this when we're being fully satisfied with the Word. That is why we must stay in communion with God's Word and through prayer, friends. Because when we're fully satisfied with Him, nothing will make us curious. We, we don't need to be curious. We're completely and utterly fully satisfied. Are you with me? But some of you tonight, the reality is, is that you're not. You're not feasting on the Word. You're not fully satisfied. And your eyes are everywhere. Looking at everything that, that just pops in your mind. I wonder what that looks like. And then pretty soon your curiosity goes. And the sins just mount up. And you just get on this hamster wheel of viewing. You know that that TV show is just a wreck. You know that that computer screen needs to be turned off. You know that as you're walking to class, that you need to keep your eyes out of the strike zone. You know what I'm saying, guys? That was something that my accountability group just always held to. Look at women in the eyes and look at them not as objects, but as a daughter of the king. Anywhere else is a danger zone, guys. Girls, I don't know, you guys shouldn't look at shopping or something. I don't know. Don't get on eBay. I don't know what your deal is. But what Jesus says, but what Jesus says is that our eyes are the lamp of the body. And then look at this. He just is emphatic about this. I love this picture. Verse 35. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. He's like, make sure. Are you sure? Make sure that the light in you is not darkness. Make sure. Like, do a double check. You may be deceiving yourself and thinking that it's, it's light, but it may be actually dark. Like, look into it. Are you sure? Some of you tonight need that extra, like, are you sure? 
That what you're seeing is just causing light to infiltrate your body, friends. Where are your eyes? And then he gives us even a more emphatic Greek picture, uh, Greek picture here in verse 36. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be completely lighted as when the light of a lamp shines on you. Twice he uses the same Greek phrase to say, when you're completely filled, filled with light, you're completely filled with light. Do you get that? When you're completely filled with light, there's no need to fill it with anything else because only the light satisfies. Only the light is triumphant, friends. But here's the reality. Some of you still kind of creep by this, this kingdom here. And because of your curiosity that's built up, because you're not fully satisfied in the person and work of Christ, you're like looking in. You're like, yeah, I've heard about that right there. I wonder what that tastes like. Yeah, I've, ooh, yeah, I've, I've heard about seeing things like that. Yeah, that looks, yeah. And all of this looks so appealing, friends. And some of you literally are not even tasting the kingdom of God because you're spending your entire existence right here. And the reality is if you're apart from Christ tonight, if you're not a Christian, not a believer in God, then the reality is, is that you're serving, with, maybe without knowing, this kingdom. You're gratifying all of your desires. You're, you're satisfying all of yourself. And so everything is about looking through here and what you see. But what Jesus said is that when the kingdom of God comes, when the finger of God is at movement, then you will know that the kingdom of God has come. And it was really fulfilled on that night when he was with his disciples. And the picture that night was that, boys, you must have nothing to do with that And I'm going to give you the way out of that. The way out of that is that my body is about to be broken for you on a cross. Disciples, boys, understand the kingdom of God has come. It's going to be revealed to you. You're going to see it on the cross. You're going to see my death and then you're going to see my resurrection and you will know that I'm real, that I'm alive, that I'm the Savior. My body is broken for you. And then he took the cup. He says, brothers, something else will happen on that cross. There will be blood that will be shed. That's payment for your sins. And this will be another sign to you as the sign of Jonah that that I have come to seek and save what was lost. So take and drink and do this in remembrance of me. Friends, tonight as we close up these last two weeks, we're going to respond to the image that God has given us of two kingdoms. We're going to have an opportunity tonight to take communion, to join in an ancient tradition of remembering Christ. And the way we do it here at Matthias is called intinction. We take a piece of the bread and tear it off and dip it in the cup and partake. But tonight, my friends, symbolic of the journey that each of us must take to find true and whole fulfillment in Christ. I'm going to ask that every single one of you tonight, and communion is for believers. Communion is a dinner and a supper for those who have professed Christ. And I'm going to ask everyone who's taking this meal tonight to walk back and around and to walk right in front of this kingdom, right in front of this window, because the reality is, friends, Jesus says that both of these kingdoms are present here and now. 
They're right here, right now. John chapter 12 says that, that He is the ruler of the world, that He has certain power and authority right now. I want each of us to walk by this window, keeping our eyes completely on the prize. And the reality is, some of you, before you take communion tonight, in a way of purifying yourself, may need to write some things down. I'll provide a little postcard here with an eye on it. Some of you tonight may need to take some time and to write down in an act of repentance the things that have been taking your eyes away from the kingdom of God and towards a kingdom that will be triumphed over. And so some of you tonight need to write something down on this. And maybe, maybe you just need to set it at the foot of the cross. Maybe you need to set it up here as a way of symbolic that, that the cross is taking care of this, that the cross has made you able to stand before the Father. Whatever it is that you need to do tonight, friends, tonight, together, we are taking a stand because of what the cross did. Listen to this. We are able to say that we will conquer our enemy because he's done it for us. And so listen to this. Get this in your mind before we respond. You have the privilege of walking by a kingdom that will fail and step towards a kingdom that will triumph. You have that opportunity tonight. So my friends, in victory, in repentance, with a great understanding of grace that's been poured out for you, let's respond to the cross of Christ tonight.